Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us a Good Story. Today, we have an amazing guest, Dan Capron, who gives us a behind-the-scenes look of what it's like to be a big-time college football official. So he has refereed national championship games, Big Ten championship games. He just retired after 20 years in the Big Ten. So hope you enjoy this episode of Tell Us a Good Story. I could hardly sleep last night. I'm serious. I was thinking about this next guest and the conversation we're about to have. The issue we are going to run into, as we talked about, is to not make this a five-hour conversation with this next guest. Mm -hmm. And what's our exciting news stuff? (gasps) Oh, oh, I have it. You met her where? I did that right, didn't I? Yes. Yes. It's out, guys. It's here. It's here. It's here. Where's it's that? It's on Amazon.com. It's on KevinAndSteph.com. And it'll be on more retailers here very shortly. I'm so excited. So, if you need a book? Dude, it's You need right. a book. Y'all you need are this quarantined. Book. You have nothing to do but hear your screaming kids. Get our book. It's amazing. You're going to laugh. It's exactly what you need during this time. It'll give yes. you hope and laughter. Just That's like this podcast. Exactly what you exactly. need at this time. Exactly. So, ladies and gentlemen... Our next guest is from Chicago, Illinois. He is a founding partner of Capron and Avgerinus Law Firm, an attorney who has been married for over 40 years to another attorney, which sounds absolutely terrible to me, (laughs) quite honestly. (laughs) He is also a father of four daughters and, by the way, just retired in February after 20 years as a football referee in the Big Ten. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Tell Us a Good Story, Mr. Dan Capron. Hi Hello, there. sir. Oh, we are excited. We are so excited. We were. I was looking at your bio, Dan, and it said you were you'd been a referee for forty years. And I don't know what's more impressive to me. It's either that you've been a, a referee for forty years, or after forty years of being a ref, you didn't strangle a coach yelling at you or a fan. <laughs> <laughs> like I am absolutely shocked it's because impressive. that is a thankless job. Yeah, it can be, but but the pros outweigh the cons. It's a wonderful avocation. Oh my gosh! Okay, so for listeners, yeah, I want to go through Dan's bio here, okay? Because it's funny. I showed Steph a picture of you in your suit, Dan, at at your law firm, looking all professional, and she's like, "Man, he looks he looks familiar." Mm-hmm. Then I switched to a picture of you and your referee, and she's like, "Oh yes, 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 I know who he is. Yes, that guy looks. I know, I know him now." So, listeners, when you see him on our YouTube channel, you will immediately recognize him. So, Dan is a senior partner of Capron and Av Jarinas and founding or, or and a founder of the firm. Went to Indiana University School of Law in Bloomington. He's on the board of directors, Illinois Workers' Compensation Lawyers Association, 40 years as a referee, 10 at the high school level, 10 at small colleges, and then 20 years as a Big Ten official, football official. And then he was the head official for multiple Big Ten championship games, Sugar Bowl, Orange Bowl, the CFP National Semifinal, and in 2018, the CFP National Championship game. Oh, I can't wait for this. That is is incredible, Dan. After 40 years, I am blown away. So 
as a referee, of course, like I said, this is a thankless job. And I was thinking of you and I could not do what you do. No way ever of being in a stadium with a hundred thousand people and feeling like not one of them liked me. <laughs> How did you want well, to become a big time college football referee? Well, it, you know, everybody, I get that question a lot, you know, gee whiz, how, how do you get to the big 10 to be a referee? Well, it's not like you just start out at that level. You have to start out at the lowest levels. And, and when I began, it was even at the grammar school level with little kids, literally fifth graders, sixth graders, kids that aren't capable of running fast enough to hurt each other when they right. run into each other yet. And, and that's really where you have to start. That's where you learn the craft of officiating. As you can imagine, you not only have to know the rules because there are uh, a great number of rules of the game, but you also have to know the mechanics of officiating, where to stand, where to look, what to right. call, what not to call. And that's an acquired taste. That's not something that you can pick up by reading a book or even going to a meeting of an association. It's like anything else. The best way to learn how to do it is to do it. So in general, and there are a few exceptions, rare exceptions, uh, the more snaps you've seen, the better you get at it. So it, it's just like anything else. If you want to be really good at running a podcast, then run a lot of podcasts and you get good at it. So that's kind of how it started. Right. So one of my favorite bloopers of all time, Dan, is, and this, this may trigger your memory, but it was a referee back in 07 who was doing a Maryland NC State game. And his name was, I looked this up last night. His name was, where's it at? Does it matter? It does. Ron Cherry. Oh, oh sure. Who yeah. gave a personal foul mm -hmm. to an offensive player for giving him the business. Yeah. Okay. And yes. so I was curious with you, have you ever had a moment where you're announcing a penalty or the microphone was live when it shouldn't have been and you had an embarrassing moment in front of a stadium full of fans? Um, oh, we've all had those. Uh, it, it, and and uh, I, I guess the one that, kind of stands out in my mind, uh, which is a testament more to my boneheadedness than anything else. Uh, I had a game at Nebraska a few years ago, and Nebraska is a wonderful place to work a football game. They have the NCAA record for the most consecutive number of sellouts oh, right. uh, of any school in the country. It's 360 some odd consecutive sellouts. It goes back to 1962 oh or something gosh. like that. It's just amazing. And they are remarkably knowledgeable football fans. Okay. Maybe it's because they don't have an NFL team and this is kind of the only game in town. Yeah. But it seems like when the Cornhuskers are playing, the fans are there and it's a very special place to work. Well, I had a game there a few years ago and, you know, uh, as the referee, one of my duties is to announce the penalties, turn on the microphone, signal, announce the penalty, and then uh, move on. Well, for whatever reason, I forgot to turn off my microphone. <laughs> and so when I then turned, the next thing that I do that I do is I blow the ball ready for play, literally blow my whistle yep. and chop the ball oh, in. No, well, right. if you can imagine what that sounds like, amplified <laughs> over all of these microphones in the stadium, blowing my whistle. But, and, and of course, you know, 90,000 fans, they all laugh. But there's more. What makes this a frightening story for me is that the next, the very next penalty that we had, the, uh, the very next one, I did it again. Oh, no. And now they didn't laugh. 
Now there were a few grumblings in the stands. Okay, twice in a row. I'm not making this up. I swear to God. Third time, it happened again. No. Now, I hadn't I had been an official for a long time. I mean, I don't know how long. I had done this three times in a row. The third time, the crowd starts booing like crazy. My headlinesman runs into me and he says, Are you having a stroke? Are you okay? And I, I, there's just no explanation for it. It was just, but it, but it, it was a concern to me because, uh, and that's the only time it happened. That's the only time I did it. So I don't know why that happened on that day, but that was pretty embarrassing. That would be so loud. That would be so- it was, yes, it was ear splitting and, and the crowd didn't appreciate it. The third town, they, they had to have thought I was doing it on purpose <laughs> because nobody could be that stupid. Three times in a row. Well, I, you, yeah, that, you, you, you know, you mentioned the national championship and of course that was a, oh, what an experience to be able to work the national championship game. It's just, you talk about, you know, once in a lifetime has kind of devolved into a cliche every, well, it was once in a lifetime. This was literally once in a lifetime. And this was Alabama, Georgia, that went to overtime, right? Yes. January of 2018. Uh, it went, the game went into overtime as you can imagine, separate from the before the game i mean we have to be there two days ahead of time and what a dog and pony show i I mean all of the meetings and all of the logistics and all of the details that you have to go over before the game even kicks off it drives you nuts okay and a lot of it's tv related and you know to complicate matters the president was there and they weren't sure whether he was going to come out and toss the coin or whether he was just going to be there for the national anthem so we're dealing with the secret service i mean we we literally had our route mapped out on how to get from our hotel to the whatever they call it the the it was the new georgia dome okay mercedes-benz mercedes-benz stadium yeah and we had everything mapped out. We had the Georgia State Police escorting us. Well, I got a little lesson in constitutional law. <laughs> there is a dispute that erupts between the Georgia State Police and the Secret Service. The Secret Service wins. Every time. <laughs> we were not permitted to go into our chosen entry that had all been pre-mapped out and everything else because the Secret Service decided, no, the president's coming this way and that way. Well, now, how do we get in? I mean, there's a million people trying to get in the state. You just can't get out of the car and walk in with your bag. So we had to kind of reroute that on the fly. But the point I wanted to make was simply this. Among our duties uh, on any game, not just the national championship, is that the referee and the umpire have to visit both locker rooms 90 minutes before kickoff. And there's a lot of pregame logistical reasons for that. We have to meet with both head coaches, make sure everybody understands what time kickoff is, get the captain's numbers, find out whether the coach has any questions, finds out whether he has any, you know, wants to diagram a play that he's going to run or any concerns about what the opponent might do. We also have to visit the equipment manager and make sure that all the players are legally equipped. And we also have to visit the trainer to make sure that there are no casts or tapings or braces that we have to know about and check for legality. Well, as you can imagine, at the Division I level, this covers a wide amount of real estate. I mean, it's immense, these locker rooms. They're so big. You can literally get lost. So as a result, both teams assign a liaison uh, to take us from the locker room door to these various points around the globe that we have to be at. And it's usually a grad assistant, you know, some young kid that's, right. you know, making minimum wage and he's just happy to be there and he's yep. 
23 years old, and he's bringing the refs around to the different points. So I go to the Georgia locker room, and I go meet with Coach Smart, and I meet with their trainer, and I meet with their equipment manager and everything else. And so now we're walking out towards the door, and the graduate assistant, this nice young man, he says to me, oh, will there be anything else, sir? And I said, yes, just one more thing. I said, um, I, I have to check Ugga. Ugga, you might know. Oh, the, the mascot, the right? Yeah, the mascot, the English bulldog for the, uh-huh. the yeah, Georgia yeah, yeah. Bulldogs. I said, I, I, I'm sorry, I have to check Ugga. And he looks at me, and he says, excuse me? He says, yeah. I said, the dog. I, I have to check the dog. His eyes get wide like saucers. He says, well, but um, uh, he he's not here yet. I said, nah, I'm just messing with you. I have to check the dog. <laughs> Check him for what? <laughs> it was a little, uh, it was a little uncharacteristic humor in a time that is just fraught with tension. Otherwise, uh, I bet uh, th- th- that was one of my main memories from the national championship. Now, with the guys, they give them, you know, you they get gifts and they get, you know, all these like special things for making it. Do you, as referees, get anything special? Yeah, th- we do. Um, it, we 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 get um, a watch. And um, and a ring, um, and uh, it, it, and it's custom designed, and it's it's very very nice. It's a I mean it's a gorgeous keepsake. So, uh, but yeah, that that's basically what we get. That's our- amazing. So Dan, how we came across your name when you retired two months ago? I had somehow come across an article. I think it was from Chicago Tribune, mm-hmm. um, discussing you retiring and in, in your career, and this was one of the best articles I've ever read because it was as if they gave you some truth serum and you just <laughs> was like unfiltered. Hey, here's what I think. And I absolutely loved it. And so Steph and I immediately was, we've got to reach out to this gentleman. Absolutely. Like we would love to talk to him. And in that article, you mentioned one of your most embarrassing moments. Um, and I forget what game it was, but you had called a timeout. Uh, yeah. You, you know what I'm talking about? Can you tell Steph exactly that, what can you tell Steph right. that story? It was first of all, in my defense, th- th- this was a game. <laughs> at, it, it was an early season game at Miami. Okay, and Florida, so, right? Yes. Not Ohio. Oh, okay. yeah, right. The real one. Um, <laughs> sorry, you can edit that out. We're um, <laughs> in Ohio. Okay. <laughs> and and uh, and um, Nebraska was playing at Miami. Well. You want to look, you guys are in Ohio. I'm in Chicago. You know, in the summertime, it gets hot. You don't have any idea what hot is. I didn't know what hot was until I got down there. Oh, I bet. We had, I think it was a 2 30 Chicago time, 3 30 local time kickoff. The temperature on the field was like 500 degrees. I I mean, it was (laughs) the the humidity was 160%. It was the hottest, most uncomfortable I have ever been in my life. Before the game, I was out on the field yelling at the ushers, how do you people live down here? (laughs) This is inhuman. I don't know how. Why would anybody want to live here? But anyway, I digress. So with that as background, I've now worked into the fourth quarter. I am physically and mentally exhausted. That game went into overtime. I am exhausted. I've probably lost 16 pounds just in water weight because of working this game. In the fourth quarter, Nebraska calls a timeout, and I made this, blew the whistle, make the signal, charge timeout, Wisconsin. And the stadium erupts 
as you might imagine, in laughter. And I go up to my umpire and I say, why is everybody laughing? He says, you idiot, you just called Nebraska, Wisconsin. No, I didn't. No, no, you really did. I said, oh my God, that is so embarrassing. Why did I do that? Well, it's probably because teams have a certain look and Nebraska and Wisconsin, they look similar. If you're looking at their helmets from behind, it's the white helmet. It's got the, right. it's got the red on the side. They've got the white jerseys with the red them. I just was thinking of Wisconsin, so it was embarrassing. That was very embarrassing. Honest Thanks. mistake. It was an honest mistake. Honest, <laughs> honest mistake, Dan. Yeah. Okay. I want to know, the fact that you just started talking about, you know, being so hot and uncomfortable, and then this game goes into overtime, is there ever a game that you can remember where it just kept going to overtime, and you're like, I'm done. Like, I hit my flight. Yeah, I got to hit my flight, or I'm just, I'm so done over this game. Has you Have you ever come into something like that? No, because I'll tell you what, at the heart of your question is how great, how utterly great this avocation is. And I wouldn't care how long a game went. It's just such a privilege to be out there. It, 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 you, you cherish every snap and you cherish every moment. So the answer to your question is no. At the end of a game, have you ever had a team lose and you were just gutted for them? Like you just... Um, no, because we don't get emotionally involved in wins and losses. Okay. Uh, I mean, we, it, we, that's not our, our job, but I'll, cont- uh, but, but I'll tell you, in that national championship game, I mean, Georgia had Alabama on the road right. in overtime. Uh, Georgia had scored a field goal in overtime. They were up by three, and Alabama had the ball, which means that if they don't score three points, game's over. Uh-huh. And on first down from the 25-yard line, they took a quarterback sack. That was the that brought them way out of field goal range, and their field goal kicker had struck was struggling to begin with. Uh, so I'm thinking to myself, okay, it's second and a mile for Alabama. This game is looking like it's really favoring Georgia at this point. Next, very next play, bang, Alabama scores a touchdown, game over on a long pass. It just happened that fast. So the 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 emotional swing. For the kids, oh, I, bet. I, I recognize as an adult looking at this what that must have felt like for both teams. Right. The elation for Alabama, thinking they were going to lose, and then they snatch victory from the jaws of defeat, and then the exact polar opposite for the kids from Georgia. Mm-hmm. So, is yeah. your heart pounding at all? Like, I know you say you don't get like you can emotionally like tie yourself up, but you have to be excited. It's no, during it's the game. It's more well, it's more clinical than that because okay. we have such a an important job to do. And if I, Stephanie, were to allow that to happen, now I'm a fan. Now I'm not an official. That's true. Right. And, and I have to make sure my responsibilities are covered. Down, distance, line to gain, clock, play clock, all those things that I have to do every single play. Okay? And I have to make sure that those are done right. That's where my focus is. And then With- once the ball is snapped, you know, I'm watching my tackle. I'm, you know, I've, I've, I've got responsibility for the quarterback to make sure that he doesn't get roughed or personal fall, you know, so that's, it, it's very, very clinical. Once that game is going on there, there is no, we're, we're not into it emotionally. The fact that you just said clinical makes me think, are you able to enjoy watching a game or no, not in the, well, yes, but not in the same way uh-huh. that I ever did. Now, when I watch a football game, <laughs> 
it's very clinical. I'm watching the officials. I bet, yeah. And I'm watching the game from my vantage point as the referee. Referee is used as a generic term for the officials. Well, those are the referees. But referee is also a term of art. It's a position on the field. The, the referee of the game is the guy who stands in the offensive backfield on the quarterback's right-hand side. He's the one who's charged with responsibility for announcing the penalties. So he's got the microphone. He's the one who wears the white hat. But there are actually eight positions on the field, each of which has a different name, one of which is referee. I'll tell you one, one other embarrassing moment, and then, and then we can go back to whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> th- 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 this was a very embarrassing moment. I had a game between Iowa and Northwestern. It was at Northwestern, and at the time, Iowa had a defensive end. Uh, I don't remember what his name was. I may not have even known it at the time. This was probably 10 years ago, and he was destined, absolutely guaranteed to be an NFL first-round draft pick. I mean, this kid was a beast. He was going to be – he was sensational. And, you know, Northwestern, um, as you know, it's the only private school uh, in the Big Ten. Uh, they have academic requirements that are probably a little higher than many of the schools in the Big Ten. Right. So they're struggling to recruit the best athletes. And um, their offensive tackle that was lined up and responsible for blocking this defensive end, it was a mismatch. I mean, it was a total. I'm sure the kid had a phenomenal SAT score. He was probably <laughs> brilliant. And he's probably working as a CEO someplace right now. It's but nice on, that, on that day, this was a total mismatch. Oh. So the Northwestern quarterback takes the snap, and he goes back to pass. And here comes this defensive end around the end like a freight train. And the kid from Northwestern had all he could do to reach up grab hold of the kid's jersey, and yank him to the ground. It was odd because rarely does a foul that occurs on the field provoke an audience response from the crowd. Oh, right. But on this day, as I'm watching this happen, I hear an audible gasp from the Northwestern crowd. And it was their (laughs) kid that just did it. Once again, Dan has a brain lock. And... I don't throw a flag. Oh, no. I do. There's no flag on the play. The quarterback throws the ball, and it's incomplete or whatever. And the kid from Iowa, to his credit, he stands up, and he looks at me, and he says, and he's laughing, and he says, oh, come on, man. <laughs> and now I got to think of something clever to say because I know that I just really missed the big guy. <clears throat> so I say to him, hey, I said, come on, big guy. I said, you're going to be playing on Sundays next year. And he looks at me and he says, yeah, and they're going to be calling that shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, we, we try to get them right, but sometimes you, you, don't, get a, you don't get everyone. <laughs> You're both comedians. <laughs> uh, that is hilarious. Oh, I love yeah. that well, it's a good one. thing your microphone wasn't on for that conversation right? then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, Dan, of the, I don't know, 150, 160 plays you have in a game, how many do you think your crew gets wrong on, on average during, well, during a game? That, that's a, that's a, they, they keep scrupulous data on this. Okay. I say they, the Big Ten has a command center in, in Rosemont, Illinois, and they have every Big Ten game on a big screen in a command center with people who are charged 
with watching these games. And then after the games, the games are reviewed and broken down by not just one or two people, but by a variety of people to make sure that there's no grading bias one way or the other. It is a scientific process and it's taken extremely seriously. The answer to your question is, on average, just law of big numbers. Yeah. If, you, if you look across the course of a season, an average Big Ten game will have, depending on what team is playing, anywhere from a low of 160 or so on up to a high of maybe 200 plays. Oh, wow. Maybe three to four mistakes. Really? And, and the mistakes are not all bad calls. It could be a bad no call, like my instance at Northwestern. It could right. be something that wasn't called that should have been. It could be something that was correctly called, but called by the wrong guy. Back, oh, judge, okay. has a, yep. back judge has a great call for pass interference, <clears throat> but it was the field judge's guy. The field judge gets downgraded for not having a flag. That goes down in the books as a mistake. Wow. So Very precise. It's, it's, it's a tough business. You've got to have a thick skin. And, um, but, but in answer to your question, three to four of those mistakes, uh, per game. On wow. That's incredible. That is incredible. That's incredible. So back to you're in the middle of a game, Dan, I'm amazed. So when I, when I stand or when I'm next to some of these football players, right? So I've been in, you know, second row of some of these games and, and you see, uh, like Joey Bosa walk by or Chase Young walk by. Mm -hmm. These dudes are massive, right? Yes, yes. Have you ever seen a hit in one of your games and you're like, that dude's not getting up? Like, <laughs> like I'm praying he's not dead, but just, go ahead and just bring the card out now because yeah, that was a train wreck right in front of me that I just saw. Yeah, I usually hang out with the kickers because they're like more like normal people. Um <laughs> Even though kickers tend to be a little flaky, but because it's it's such a mental game, but uh, punters and kickers are they're more normally sized. But no, I mean that Big Ten football. I mean they're big and they're fast, and and uh, that that's just part of the game. So in answer to your question, it's it's almost every game really? where, where where you see hits that are that are that bad, and oh. and my job is to just make sure that they're legal, and, right? And, you know, it's not targeting, it's not a high hit on a quarterback or anything like that. So now speaking of hits, have you ever gotten hit? Well, um, thankfully, no, uh, really. Yeah, no, I've not, not, uh, I mean, I think I got ran into one time in a high school game, but you know, n nothing that serious that one of the, the things that happened to me, I had a game, um, this was probably almost 15 years ago. I had Notre Dame at Georgia tech mm -hmm. and this was the game of the week. This was the, uh, ESPN game day. I mean, this was a, a huge game. So, so during the game, again, close game, ferocious back and forth. We're in the fourth quarter. Notre Dame has a third and long. Their quarterback is Brady Quinn. Oh yeah. Oh, for here from here from Columbus. Yep. Correct. Correct. So Brady Quinn is back to pass, and this is about midway through the fourth quarter. Notre Dame is losing, and he gets flushed out of the pocket. So he's going to run for the first down mark, and he's edging towards the sideline, and he. Dives for the first down, but the defensive back gets to him before he gets to the marker. And as Brady Quinn is now clearly out of bounds, a kid from Georgia Tech comes oh, and, no. and blasts him out of bounds. Well, now, now instead of fourth and one, now there's a flag on the play, personal foul, half the distance to the goal, automatic first down. As you might imagine, 
Notre Dame now goes on to score and they end up winning the game. So this was a key call. I step out. I am making the announcement. Personal foul, late head out of bounds, defense, number whatever it was. And sailing out of the stands is one of those plastic water bottles that's half full. Oh, no. Which which can be thrown like a missile. I bet. This thing hits about five feet in front of me and bounces. And as it bounces, it, it clips my hand as it goes by. When I'm in the middle of my announcement, I never flinched. Completed my announcement. Automatic first down, boom. The announcers were like, I can't believe it. This is unbelievable. Dan Capron's out there. He's making the announcement. He didn't even flinch. It was like a profiles in courage, a study in heroism, (laughs) storm the beaches on D-Day. Tough man. What What they don't know is that I was staring directly into the lights. I never saw that bottle. Never saw it. So it wasn't bravery at all. If I had seen it, I'd have been in the fetal position Drop. on the ground. <laughs> Drop it on the ground. So, you know, sometimes you get credit that you don't deserve. But you say, have I ever been run into? No. But it did hurt my hand when it when it clipped it because a half-filled water bottle, it'll hurt when, when it gets thrown like that. What about one of your uh, fellow officials on your crew? Have you had an instance where they got run over accidentally? You had to replace them? Do you have a yes. substitute official or how does that yeah. work? Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, the uh, uh, substitute officials came in back in the early 2000s. Um, there was a game that was uh, involving, it might have been Michigan-Penn State. I know Michigan was involved. Uh, and one of the officials, there back then there were seven on the field. One of the officials got hurt and the crew had to finish with six. Okay. Well, Michigan lost and there was a big Bruja because Michigan felt that if we had had a full complement of seven officials instead of six, the game would have been better officiated at the end, and therefore they would have had a chance to win. Typical Michigan fan. I was right, just Steph? thinking that. I mean, just complain, <laughs> no, I, complain. No, I, I, yeah, I'm sure Ohio State <laughs> could could have said the same thing. I and I don't attribute anything to Michigan, but my point is is that when that happened, the Big Ten recognized that. If we're in peril of losing somebody during a game, we need to account for that. And from that point forward, there was an alternate official who was assigned to every game. And if somebody got hurt with an injury or got ill, uh, that official would then go in the game, fill the open spot, and we would still have a full complement. So now a full complement is eight officials. We added a center judge since the time of that game. And uh, we have eight officials on the field plus an alternate who is available to go into the game if, if somebody gets hurt. And I would say at least a couple of times a season, conference-wide, uh, that happens. Uh, somebody does go down with an injury or with an illness. So it, it's been a good move. Is there a stadium that you go to and you get excited to official or is or or the opposite and you're just like, oh, I do not want this game? Do you have one of those? All 14 stadiums. And I, <laughs> and, and, and I don't just say that. It, 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 it's it's a credit to the Big Ten. I, and I want to just say, you know, a little editorial comment. I was so proud and so privileged to be a Big Ten official. I love this conference so much and all 14 schools that comprise it. Every single stadium, without exception, without exception, before the game, we are out there and we typically come out for the final time about – 15 minutes before kickoff and 
typically that's when the home team's band is out on the field. And whether it's Ohio State dotting the I or whether it's Michigan and or whether all of them, they, they all have their bands and their bands are as talented as their football teams. Right. I mean, these marching bands <clears throat> are exceptionally talented kids. So to be out there in that environment is just it, it, it sends chills down your spine mm. and and it's true on every single location. Now, so. Dan, I go to so for the past decade. Um, every year I go to an away Ohio State game, okay, mm-hmm. with, with me and, and some buddies. We just, mm-hmm. guys trip once a year. And so we haven't been to Nebraska and Wisconsin yet. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to Maryland and Rutgers. I don't count those two, quite honestly. <laughs> <laughs> you should. But, they're, they're, but, they're, they're great places to go. I, I, yeah, I'm sure they are. But <laughs> I, they I still are. Don't. They are. And it's not hard to get tickets. But, <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. So we haven't been to those two. However, the loudest atmosphere I've been to, hands down, was probably Penn State uh, yeah. for a whiteout game. Yep. From yep. your experience, what's been one yeah. of the best atmospheres or the loudest stadium, whether it's national championship game where Georgia's playing in Georgia or yeah. Penn State? What's What's been kind of the coolest atmosphere you've been you've been in? Well, you know, you mentioned a whiteout game, whiteout games. I've worked a couple of them. The most recent one was um, against Ohio state. Um, Not this past season, but the season before. Okay. That's Uh, where you were at. Yes. Yes. I was at that one where Ohio state came back at the last minute. Well, Uh, the, the one that I'm thinking of Penn state had the ball at the end and they were down by uh, less than a touchdown or maybe a touchdown. And they had a fourth and yes, three yep. at about midfield. That's the one I was at. And yep. they ran the ball into yes. the middle of the line. Yes. And, that's and, right. And I remember thinking, why did you do that? You know, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, and you know, the air came out of the place pretty fast. It but sure did. Prior to that play, you were there. I yep. mean, oh my gosh, what an atmosphere. Just I- magnificent. I came home telling Steph, I'm like, Steph, these fans, one, they were incredibly kind to me and my buddies as visitors. But Dan, I was shocked at Penn State fans. They are celebrating. They're cheering during the TV timeouts. They're singing Sweet Caroline, going around the stadium. They They are cheering at the appropriate time. They are being quiet at the appropriate time. Like Penn State comes up when it's last 10 seconds on the clock. It is like a library in yep. the building. Then yep. as soon as like the last 15 seconds, uh, when high state has the ball, they are going nuts. So <laughs> it's, it's loud. <laughs> it is incredibly loud. I was yeah. blown away by that it's atmosphere. Loud. It's that loud. the and best I'll, I've been to, you know, I'll tell you, Ohio state is very loud. And, and a lot of the times the loudness has to do with the geography or the architecture of the stadium. Yes. Michigan is the biggest <clears throat> stadium, but it's not the loudest because it's a bowl mm-hmm. and, and all of the sound kind of rises. Now it's, don't get me wrong. It's loud. But it's not as loud as Ohio State because Ohio State has that upper deck, yeah. which which keeps a lot of the sound in. So, so much of that acoustics has less to do with the precise number of people in the stands or their enthusiasm level and more to do with just how the stadium is laid out. If you've ever been to Iowa, Iowa only holds like 60,000 people, and that's as loud, loud as any place. yes. You know, that's a great atmosphere. One of my great memories of working in the Big Ten is at the end of the first quarter, we waved to the kids at the Children's Hospital, Mm. which is next door. And I was involved in one of the first um, games that that, uh, was instrumental in doing, not instrumental, but was involved in doing that. That's very emotional. 
I mean, you talk about bringing it down to the level of, wow, what's really important? That's true. It keeps things in perspective and you can see those little kids up there and they're waving to us and they're as excited as could be, you know, to be looking into Kinnick Stadium. But that, that, that one will grab you by the heartstrings. That one, so I experienced that one back when, <laughs> was four years ago maybe? Mm. High State was favored, Dan, I think by like 24 points, ended up losing by 30, right, at Iowa City um, a few years back. And we were there, uh, Kinnick Stadium, and it is incredible. One, the atmosphere, but two, after the first quarter, you're waving to the kids. You see them and their parents waving the top level of that hospital. And then, of course, they play some type of music as well for the 10, 15 seconds. And, yeah. like, everyone's crying. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah, literally, everyone's getting emotional, tearing. Like, it is yeah. incredibly emotional, yeah. but very, very cool yeah. Even experience. Even the opposing team. Yes. I mean, mm-hmm. Every opposing team has participated in that tra- what's become a tradition. It's just magnificent. And that is emblematic of, to me, of Big Ten football. I just love these schools. They're just, these are some of the greatest universities in the country. The rivalries are so pure and, and so intense. It's, it just gets emotional. And we as officials have to rise above that. And, and we have to be clinical and we have to be professional and we have to make sure that the game is played uh, within the rules. And, but it's just so great to be a part of it. I bet. So when you're in those stadiums and it is so loud can you even hear anybody yelling no. at you, like no. one-liners or anything? No. It's just No. We have earpieces now. Uh, these came into being, I don't know, maybe three or four or five, five years ago, something like that. They're, they're called um, O2Os, okay. uh, which means official to official. And so if you push the button on the transmitter or the receiver or whatever it is, uh, you can talk like a radio, like a, like a walkie-talkie to everybody on the crew, only intra crew. Okay. okay. And the replay official upstairs, he can also hear us. Um, so for instance, uh, if there's a pass interference penalty downfield, um, he just gives me the signal points, which team it is. And then he goes on his little radio set and says, number 27 defense, number 27. And now I can knock out that announcement really quickly. Yep. But to your point, at a place like Penn State during a whiteout, at a place like you know Ohio State when they're when the game is really close and the and the the, the stadium is is rocking, you can throw those things in the garbage. They're, we can't hear a thing. Really, even, even in your earpiece, you have to get somebody right up in your face, shout as loud as you can in order to be heard. It's it's that intense. What yes. really? Absolutely. I've had games where my ears are aching at the end of the game because it's been so loud that, that that's it's part of the beauty of it wow like yeah. at a rock concert just yes. for like three and a half hours Crazy. yep yep that's amazing. amazing yeah so so steph you had so we, we talked earlier right you had a list of coaches i do you wanted to ask dan about to get his perspective <laughs> i do so i'm gonna save ours for last and I, I, it just slipped my Michigan's head coach, Jim Harbaugh. Oh no, no Michigan State. I'm sorry, Michigan. Mark State. D'Antonio. Mark, Mark D'Antonio. Okay, mm-hmm. my husband likes to say he looks grumpy all the time. At all times. At yeah. all times. However, I saw uh, when he was going to the Rose Bowl several years ago. They had a great interview, and he was so happy. He had a smile on his face talking about his kids. One time. It was one time, but it happened. (laughs) I just wanted to document that it did happen. But what is your your take on him? What's he like? He's grumpy. 
Is it? <laughs> you know, and I love I love Mark D'Antonio. He's a he's a he's a fantastic coach, uh, former coach now because because he's retired. But um, no, he's grumpy. That that that's real. But it's not inappropriate. Um, you know, he he's got a job to do, and he's coaching his team. And a lot of times, almost all the time, his grumpiness that which you see that's not because of the officials or the officiating. He's grumpy because of things that are going on within his team. Yeah. You know, maybe execution that is done short of perfection. Anything short of perfection, he's going to get grumpy. He's going to he's going to look like that. Rarely is it is it directed at the officials and, you know, when it is, sometimes he's right, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but no, he's not inappropriate at all. Okay. How about Harbaugh? Is he as socially awkward as he comes across on TV, Dan? <laughs> I don't know because you know I don't I don't you know I don't know him personally. I, I I don't socialize with him. My my business is restricted to what I described before. Go see him in the locker room, find out if he has any questions, get his captain's numbers, and um, he is the height of civility uh, when it when it comes to that. Um, he is. I think he's a very good coach. I think he's an excellent recruiter. I think he knows the game of football very well. And, uh, of course, it, it's important um, that he's a Michigan man. Right. Uh, yeah. that, that that counts for a great deal. I mean, that's that's in his blood. It's like Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. I mean, it, it's it. I played here. This is who I am. And for better or worse, if you, if you don't buy into – you know, the Michigan way of doing things, then too bad for you. So, you know, yeah, every, every coach has episodes where they lose it. And, and, uh, you know, I, I think coach Harbaugh does get a bad rap sometimes. Um, you know, the camera's always on him. I can't imagine living my life with that degree of scrutiny, Mm -hmm. uh, to always be second guest. I mean, you talk about a job that's a pressure cooker, right? You know, I mean, come on. Um, and and with, and that, that's a good segue. I'm going to fast forward to Ryan Day, who you're you're going to ask me about. I'm yes. sure. Yes, we are. Um, I had the uh, Ohio State spring game one year ago, almost exactly one year. I don't know what day it was, but yeah. it was in April, April of 2019. He had just been announced as the new head coach a couple of months before. So this was really his his baptism, the Ohio State spring game, which, as you may know, it's a big deal. I mean, they'll put, put 80,000 people in the stadium for a spring yes, game. Yes, they will. And it was a gorgeous spring afternoon. So that only, I mean, that only heightens the crowd. Mm-hmm. So I go see, you know, Coach Day before the game. And uh, I had never, I, he had been on the staff, but I had never known him. I had never met him before. So I introduced myself to him. He couldn't have been nicer. And, and, uh, I congratulated him. I said, you know, coach, this is fantastic. I mean, here you are, this has got to be your life's dream. You know, you're the brand new head coach of Ohio state university. One of the <clears throat> premier programs in all of college football, one of the premier programs in the country. And I said, you know what the best part is coach? I said, there's absolutely no pressure. <laughs> right. and, I, and I said it just like that. There was a pregnant pause and then he bursts out laughing, which I had hoped would be the case. Right. And then I said, no, listen, seriously, all you got to do is win every game. Right. And everything will be fine. Right. So uh, that was the conversation I had with him at the spring game. Uh, Fast forward to, I had Ohio State at Northwestern in October. It was one of those Friday night games. Yeah. uh, In October. Go to see Coach Day in the locker room. Coach, how you doing? 
I said, hey, coach, I said, you know, when I said, oh, you got to do is win them all, I didn't think you were going to take me seriously. <laughs> and so he starts laughing. He says, oh, no, 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 these don't jinx me. There's a lot of football left to be played. Okay, fine. All right, fine. Well, now fast forward one more time. Big Ten Championship. Right. Against uh, Wisconsin. Go see Coach Day in the locker room. I said, coach, what, what are you doing with this winning them all thing? I mean, I just said I didn't yep. think you were going to take me seriously. Well, now he's laughing. He's like, well, you know, we got to – well, he won that game as well. And, you know, but for a heartbreaker against Clemson, they right. for the national championship, and who knows. But uh, he is a phenomenally personable guy. Uh, he is uh, conversant. He is relaxed. Uh, maybe it's easy to be relaxed when you're coaching a team like that. I mean, right. You know, but, but on the other hand, there is that pressure. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you lose one game, uh, you know, they, they, they grumble. If you lose two games, they carp and they really yes. start to complain. Yeah. Yeah. And depending on who you lose to, you know, you can't lose to Penn State. You can't lose to Michigan. Right. You know, and, and uh, that, that's an incredible amount of pressure. But, but he, he, you know, again, I haven't known him for long. Uh, but, but from the little bit that I've seen him, he's just a, he's a total gentleman. I'll tell you what, Ohio State is very fortunate to have a guy like that who just stepped right in and he's like 40, right? Mm-hmm. To be able to have him for a decade or so down the road. Like if you could handpick somebody right now, Ryan Day would be probably the man that mm-hmm. you would choose as, as your football coach. Sure. Um, you mentioned briefly Pat Fitzgerald. Yeah. I met him. At a high state basketball game, probably three years ago, uh, my buddy Todd and I mm-hmm. went. He has his company has uh, season tickets there on the floor. We went. I saw him because he it was a high state Northwestern, mm-hmm. and I just you know we locked eyes, connected, <laughs> and I gave him the universal sign like, "Hey, can we take a picture?" And he's like, "Yeah, come on over." Waves to the secure guy like, "Yeah, come on over." Took a picture with him, and then Dan for the next five ten minutes. He was the nicest guy to my buddy and I, like incredible how nice he was asking us about our family, telling us about his three boys played football. I mean, and I'm wearing a high stake gear and he didn't have to do that, but I was blown away. I'm like, Todd, if I was an 18 year old kid, I would, I would be taking a recruiting call from that man. He was amazing. Incredibly nice. And that was not an exception. That was the rule with Pat Fitzgerald. He's a total class act. The one thing that people may not know about him um, is that of all the head coaches that I've ever dealt with, he is far and away the best when it comes to rules knowledge. Oh, really? The rules of football can be very complex, and they're changing from year to year. And he knows the rules as well or better than most officials. A lot of head coaches would find it, they would be tempted to delegate that because you've got so many people on your staff, right? You've got an offensive coordinator, you've got position coaches, you've got graduate assistants, you've got heaps of people assisting you in the management of this team. And you're pretty much the CEO of of the corporation. Pat Fitzgerald does not delegate that. It's too important in his mind. And there's a lot of wisdom there. Because when something occurs during the course of a game, you may not have time to beckon over the graduate assistant and to be debriefed or to debrief him on what is the rule as it relates to that. It is such an advantage if the head coach knows that going in ahead of time. And he is uh, he's extremely intelligent. So uh, but just a total pleasure to work for. I I bet. Class act. Northwestern grads. 
Smart yeah. dudes, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, I want to ask about Nick Saban mm-hmm. because he, all he does is yell. He yells at his <laughs> he, his players. He yells at his staff. Coaches. Like yeah. he's yelling constantly. Yeah. How is he with with the officials? Have you seen him yeah. smile, Dan? <laughs> well, you, you know, the year before I came in the Big Ten, um, he was at Michigan State. Oh, right. Yes. And, and I had a game where I was uh, what was called the TV liaison, which is now known as the red hat, the guy that, you know, signals when the TV commercials are. That was a job that they were giving to people who were candidates to come into the Big Ten. And I had that job on a game where Michigan State was playing. And he it's true to what you were just suggesting. I mean, he was very, very animated uh, on the sideline. And uh, just in listening to some of the older officials who were on the staff at that time, so this is the year 2000 or 1999, uh, he was a handful. Now, having said that, uh, I had Coach Saban a couple of times, once in the national uh, semifinal game uh, against uh, University of Washington, and then again in the national championship game against uh, Georgia. He was fine. Really? I mean, to the extent that he was yelling, he was never yelling at me. He was never really yelling at the officials. Uh, and if he engaged me in any question or conversation at all, it was measured and it was civil and it was informational. So I have absolutely nothing bad to say about him. And you certainly can't argue with his record. Right. No exactly. Kidding. He's phenomenal with that. Last one, Urban Meyer. Yeah, he was the he's the former coach at Ohio State University. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll leave it at that. I cannot argue with his record of success um, and with the job that he did as head coach. How was your last game? Yeah. Was that emotional for you? Yeah. You know, my, my boss is so great. He, he knew, you know, I, I I had told him actually two years ago that, that I was going to go two more years and then he checked with, but it was my call. It wasn't his call. He, 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 you know, he would have let me keep going. And then coming into my last year, he says, Hey, look, he says, you know, let me know where you want to work. Maybe work your last game, your last regular season game. And if I can, I'll try to make that happen. And so I thought about it. And, um, uh, the the obvious choice was Illinois and Northwestern. Yeah. Regardless of where the game was going to be just from a logistical standpoint, I wanted to make sure that my girls, their husbands and my grandchildren could all be able to attend the game. Mm. Uh, and, you know, if you ask for Ohio State, Michigan, that's not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, they, 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 there's no way that they could get that many tickets. Turns out the game was in Champaign. And so uh, one of my four daughters lives in Champaign. And Champaign's only two hours from Chicago. So because of my boss's kind intercession, I was able to do my last regular season game uh, down there between Northwestern and Illinois. Both head coaches, oh my God, Lovey Smith, Pat Fitzgerald, could not have been nicer. I mean, they were they treated me like royalty. They really? were so great. Uh, they were both so wonderful. And it was really, um, it was very emotional. You know, I went to Illinois uh, as an undergrad. And so it was a little bit emotional from that standpoint to, you know, as much as I, I was, when I was officiating, I was officiating, but, you know, at halftime and at other times when during a TV timeout, you look around and it gets a little wistful. It gets a little emotional. But, but then the point is, is that when you work your last regular season game, you don't know 
whether that's going to truly be your last game or whether there's going to be a postseason game. Oh, okay. Because the postseason assignments are all based on your ratings during the season. The finality of which does not take place until the final whistle of the final game. And then the boss gets together with all the graders and they go over all the numbers and they assign it by position. Whoever finishes first at referee goes to the Big Ten Championship. Whoever finishes second goes to our number one bowl game. Whoever finishes third goes to our number two bowl game. And we typically will get four bowl games, uh, the Big Ten does, to, to officiate. So I didn't know uh, whether that was going to be my last game, and if not, where my last game would truly be. Turns out I, I had a very good year, and uh, I, I did get to go to the Big Ten Championship. Uh, so I really was able to finish on a high note. Ohio State, Wisconsin, again, two of the greatest coaches you could ever imagine. Ryan Day on one side, Paul Christ on the other side. I mean, these aren't just guys that you love working for. These are guys that you would love to have a beer with. I mean, these are guys that you would just love hanging out with. Both fantastic. And turns out, even though Ohio State was heavily favored, you may remember this, they were losing at halftime. Yeah, they were Mm -hmm. by like two touchdowns. Oh, my gosh. And, and, you know, we're looking around. Oh, man, we better. (laughs) All right. You know, let's every play, (laughs) one play at a time, dial it in. Let's let the teams decide it. Let's not miss anything. Pay attention to the fundamentals. But, oh, my gosh, you know, because there have been Big Ten championship games that have been blowouts. Right. And then, you're, and then your duties shift a little bit. I mean, if it's a five-touchdown game in the second half, at this point, you're trying to keep the clock going. You're just trying to keep the kids from getting frustrated. Yeah. Trying to get the game over. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because, essentially, it's all over but the shouting at that point. Yeah. And you don't want to have an incident. You don't want to have a fight. You don't want to have, have a kid get hurt, yeah. you know? And so, you know, but that's not what we had. What we had was a close game. And so we had to be dialed in all the way to the end. And what a pleasure to work. Just, just incredible. So you literally went out on top then, Dan. Yeah. Because yeah. that's an all, so that's an all-star crew yes. that you would be with during that game, right? Correct. I was, I was not working with guys from my regular crew. Yeah. These were the guys who finished first at their position across the board. Wow. You know, now, I'd been in the league long enough. I mean, I'd worked with all of them at one time or yeah. another. It's not like they were strangers to me. Phenomenal. Dan, yep. phenomenal. So I absolutely fun. love this. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. I'm so happy. I mean, I go all day, but I mean, yeah, no, I understand you got time constraints here, so we can we we, we can we can call it a day. A bit to let well, we're hey, still Dan, taping. We're still recording. We're still going. So we can still we can, we're still going. We can still here. go. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners, if you like what you just saw, like what you just heard, please go to iTunes, go to YouTube, and subscribe, rate, review this podcast. That's the only way we'll be able to continue to produce this. Where else can they go, Stephanie? They can go to kevinandsteph.com. That's all I know. So, is that it? You crushed it. Yes, crushed it. Thank you, listeners.